Hour two of the game at News Radio KMAN. Good evening. Troy Coverdale with you. Mitch Fortner on site in Topeka. He's at Hayden High School getting ready for coverage of Manhattan High Girls basketball. Got your stadium seat all set and ready to go. I'm all set, ready to go. I'm always surprised when I walk in here I don't burst into flames. So we're we're four for four now. So uh, I I must have not checked this schedule because they when I walked in and it was God, I don't know, it was four forty five maybe roughly. Uh, the J the JV boys had just started. So we're just for those listening, if you if you plan on listening to the tribe tonight, it's gonna be a later start than usual. So just keep that in mind. It's going to be after 6 before we get going. So in other words, you're settled in for a long evening at this point. Yeah, we're in the second quarter of the JV. The Manhattan boys, their JV team is really good. They're up 19-13 right now despite Hayden splashing some arcing three-pointers. Uh, but fans just filing in here as well. So, But I'll tell you what, they still play the fight song even though the band isn't here. They got it hooked up to the sound system. I'll give them credit for that. I realize that's a good move when the band isn't in isn't in the gym yet. Of course, of course. Uh, you didn't encounter any spy balloons, by the way, on your way over, right? No, and I did hear your your uh, your your topic or your conversation, I suppose, on that. I kept my eyes to the sky, and I figured it'd be well passed by now. But you never know; there might be a cloud that looks like it. Yep, there I you go. I could just say I saw it. There you go. See, that's how that's how it works. Oh yeah, I saw well, that. That's what I figured your friend was doing. Yeah, yeah, something along the lines of Skylab falling back in seven. In any way, you, you're too young for that. Sorry. You tell me when do you want to do the, when do you want to do this Mitch Palm thing? Uh, whenever you're ready. I got it right in front of me. Um, I was kind of reviewing my notes just to make sure I wasn't leaving anything out. I'm always. I always feel like I'm leaving something very key out when I do Mitch Palm. Like, for instance, the KU game. I was like, oh, yeah, it's hard to get a call in Allen Fieldhouse. That might be kind of a factor. <laughs> that may have swayed the final score one way or another, probably way towards KU, of course. And I said it would be a five-point win. It would be a 12-point win for the Kansas Jayhawks. But whenever you're ready. By the way, guess who I saw officiating last night in Columbus, Ohio? Oh, you're talking about our boy John Higgins? Not only that, he threw out Chris Holtzman. Oh, no kidding. One minute to play in the first half, he tossed him. Wow. So John earned... I, I have to go back. Yeah. John what was the meltdown like? Uh, It was pretty solid. It was pretty solid. By that point, they were down by 14. So... It, was, it wasn't like Jim Woldridge going out to center court and... Uh, no, it wasn't With that, that jacket good. On and- no, no, it wasn't that good. That that remains an all timer, but it was good enough to rankle John Higgins apparently. So, that being said, let's do that deal. Here's Mitch Ball with tonight's prediction. Tomorrow. Uh, I can't remember the so the last time I did Mitch Palm on location was at Washburn. I remember that, but I can't remember what game that was. It might have been the game at TCU. So uh, it's time to get Mitch Palm back on track. Mitch Palm on the road as the Cats have lost a couple in a row in conference play. The last loss to number eight, Kansas, in Allen Fieldhouse, 90-78. to Meanwhile, Texas is the opponent, number 10, coming into town for tomorrow's afternoon, 3 o'clock tip at 7 versus 10. And they have the same record as the Cats overall, 18-4, and but they're alone in first place at 7-2. and So first place implications 
for the first game of the second half of Big 12 play is certainly on the line. But Texas coming off a Baylor win, 76-71, and they've won their last three Big 12 games. This will be the 46th meeting all-time between the Cats and Longhorns. K-State, by the way, does hold the all-time series advantage, 24-21. to The first meeting was an NBA game. A lot of scoring, not a lot of defense. I mean, if you're... If you're allowing a team, first of all, to score 103, you're not playing very good defense. Meanwhile, uh, those that are from Austin, the game was played in Austin, much worse as K-State scored a program, a new program record of 116. Marquise Noel with 36, Keontae Johnson with 28, Cam Carter 17, Naquan Tomlin 11, and Bebe Ejiola with 10. The entire double, uh, the entire uh, starting lineup in double figures. The catch shot 60%. And 13 of 24 from three-point range. Meanwhile, for Texas, Tyrese Hunter with 29, Marcus Carr 27, and Texas shot 51.5%. But you know what? My first uh, key in this one is actually defense. So I went into Mitch Palm last time between K-State and Texas feeling that Texas, they kind of feel like a better defensive team than offense. And they're a great offensive team defensively they've been good in the non-con i think the numbers have started to slip a little bit i mean you're playing the best teams in the country day in and day out yeah the numbers are going to probably slip a little bit defensively teams are going to score three-point defense that has slipped a little bit they're not as good numbers wise as guarding the three and k-state being the best three-point shooting team in the big 12 key right there but what the longhorns do so well and has been consistent into big 12 play not allowing very many assists a game. They want you to take them one-on-one and try to score. That's where they're going to try to turn you over. They're only allowing 11 assists a game. If you're only getting 11 assists a game, you're in the 300s in the NCAA. That's a low number. Meanwhile, they're forcing 16 turnovers a game as Texas. That is 30th in the country. 16 of their 22 games, they've forced at least 15 turnovers a game. And by the way, they have been outscoring teams in points off turnovers 404 to 215 this season they've nearly doubled opponents this year that is a big big key factor heading into tomorrow afternoon which by the way i do want to mention though in the first meeting case had 23 assists 12 turnovers in the first meeting so if k-state is a team is an example on how to break those trends for texas they did certainly in that first meeting. The player to watch for is, of course, Marcus Carr. He had a big second half against K-State in meeting number one. Ton of experience. This will be his 149th game tomorrow, and he already has 2,115 points in his career. This is his third stop with the Texas Longhorns. And by the way, he's their leading scorer at 16 points a game. Also the three point, best three-point shooter at over 40%. He's their best assist guy, best in steals, and has the most minutes. That is priority number one, stopping that guy. Another key here, he only scored five points against Baylor. Texas still figured out a way to get it done. Over to the offensive side of things, Texas averaging 80 points a game, shooting 48% from the floor. That's actually big-time numbers for Texas because the last time Texas was closer at that mark, was 12 years ago that's the last season they had those kind of offensive numbers the three-point shooting has trended downwards for texas they're now basically six of 18 per game in big 12 play 
that's 33.3%. K-State can survive that. That's not the biggest deal in the world, but Texas gets inside well, and this scares me because Texas is scoring at a clip of 56% inside the arc, and and K-State, we all know, especially on the road, not so much at home, even though it hasn't been the best, on the road, you know, giving up 88 points a game and struggling from inside the arc to stop teams. Last is free throw shooting. Texas has six players that shoot over 78% from the foul line. As Texas as a team is 81% from the free throw line. This is a team you do not want to send to the free throw line. Also, more importantly, when it comes to not sending teams to the free throw line, K-State has kind of done that a little bit too much. A little bit too much. Given up 236 free throws in Big 12 play, that's the most of any team. And it's 26 a game. That's too many trips, allowing too many trips to the free throw line. So here's my keys to this game. Obviously, don't want to send Texas to the free throw line. Win the three-point line. K-State, if they can come out hot, hit some threes, set the tone, have a great start. They did not come out with a great start against Kansas. Turn that around. Get out to a great start. Hit some threes. Texas, if they hit six a game, I think K-State obviously has to hit more than that to win a game like this with a team that can be a balanced team. Meanwhile, take care of the ball. Sloppy, sloppy, sloppy at times against KU. I felt like, in a way, K-State kind of beat themselves in Lawrence when it came to turning over the basketball. KU gets in transition and the Jayhawks score with points on turnover. Just take care of the ball. Okay, Texas is going to try to turn you over when you get inside the arc. Just take care of it. Don't throw sloppy passes. And then finally, the doom. K-State is 12-0 and at home. A big part of that, Jeff Mitty talked about it with the women's game and the upset went over Iowa State. Jerome Tang says it basically after every game how big of a factor the crowd is. It's another sold-out game. I think the Octagon of Doom is going to be a big key for this one. I truly feel that K-State is the better team. I really do. And I think K-State's going to score some points in this one. Just can the defense not let Texas go on runs? Ken Palm has... Cats at a 52% chance, almost a 50-50 game of the Cats winning. 76-75 is Ken Palm's final score. Mitch Palm has the Cats getting it done. 60% chance of winning with the final score. 82-77. to Cats win in Manhattan tomorrow afternoon. One of the very interesting quirks on the schedule, Mitch, I brought up in segment one this afternoon. The fact that the Cats have officially lost their last two conference games. We forget about the fact that it's back-to-back conference losses with the Florida game in the middle of them. Yeah, and both of those losses were on the road, and they were both at the hardest environments to play in the Big 12 other than, of course, Manhattan, Kansas, but that's that's good for us to have that kind of advantage at home. Meanwhile, you just played two games at Hilton Coliseum. You lost by four. You allowed Iowa State to go on a run, and you just could not fully recover in Allen Fieldhouse. KU basically used two runs to win by double digits. K-State attempted to come back with uh, with Desi Sills, getting to the foul line three straight times. That's another thing, you know, starters is one thing. K-State's bench, can they capitalize and be the deeper team, be the more depth? Uh, you know, I, I, for some reason, I'm blanking on his name, but Serge Jabari uh, for Texas, who is now their second leading scorer, has been hot 
the last couple of games. He's he's shot 21 points a game the last couple. I mean, he's a factor as well. For some reason, I'm, I'm blanking on that. But Tyrese Hunter, you know, it's another one that, you know, can get really hot and knock down some shots. But, again, it's not it's really not the three-point ball that scares me. The three-point ball that I thought killed K-State against KU, killed K-State against Iowa State. I mean, those are a couple of really big momentum swings. It was thanks to the three ball from Iowa State in Kansas. For for Texas, it's their three-point shooting. It doesn't scare me so much. It's just how good they can be inside the arc that scares me. Efficiency is the name of the game for the Longhorns when they come in, and it showed in game one. It's just that K-State found a way to be more efficient. And by the way, I want to add one more uh, one more key uh, to this real quick. We're going to throw one more in there. I just thought about this. Uh, you know, if there was a time for Texas to have a minister of culture, I think it would be right now with how good this Texas team is. But also, you know, shout out to, you know, uh, Rodney Terry, who has filled in on an interim role and done a great job for Texas. But, man, drama for Texas outside the program when it comes outside the walls with, uh, with um, uh, Chris Beard getting fired. You know, this is the time to have the minister of culture. Texas, bring Matthew McConaughey with you to Manhattan. I think you're going to need him, or else it's going to be all K-State culture up in you. That's going to be something you can't overcome. What would Matthew, so Ma- what would Matthew McConaughey do in Manhattan, Kansas? Sit on the bench. Beyond like that, be, true, but beyond that, what what would Matthew McConaughey call a good time in Manhattan? It's an interesting well, what, question. I, I, it almost feels like you're throwing some shade at Matthew McConaughey. I think he'd easily find something to do in Manhattan. Obviously, it would be a big draw if he went somewhere, if he showed up in Aggieville after the game, or even tonight true. showed up in Aggieville. That would be the headline. That'd be they're probably ESPN would be like, "How can we get cameras down in Aggieville?" Or they'd be they'd be pulling videos off Twitter of people posting them or on Instagram of, "Hey, it's Matthew McConaughey." We could also add Adam though to the historic list of celebrities that have made their way uh, to Aggieville in its time. See, that that's w- a it's a long list that would outdo Travis Kelsey at the wheel by a long shot. I don't has Travis Kelsey. I don't think he's made it to Aggieville. I just know he's been to a women's basketball game. Yeah. in twenty nineteen, that was like in November of twenty nineteen. But I think that would definitely overshadow Ron Jeremy. <laughs> oh God, heaven help us all. That was not an a uh, reference I expected to hear this afternoon. Thank you, Mitch. How about we roll forward here and come back with more on the game in a moment. The game continues on News Radio KMAN. Good afternoon, Troy Coverdale. Mitch Fortner on location at Hayden High School ahead of hoops tonight. Manhattan High on the road in Centennial League action. Everybody making a big deal today about it being 2-3-2-3. Jordan Day. Mitch, did you have any memories of Michael Jordan that stand out? Uh, You know what? Not really. Uh, Because I I don't ever recall, like... Never really got any channels that had Bulls games on them. I knew who Michael Jordan was at a young age, but I can't recall ever, other than like finals or playoffs, never seeing a Bulls game on TV live. Really? Not even an NBCer? 
Not even. No, and I, you know, NBC or not NBA wasn't really a popular thing in my house growing well, up. Well, there is that. I understand. I get you. I, you know, I, I always would watch when I could, but that's just because I'm a junkie to the grand. Well, and Benji scale. George, who's the, the head coach of the Manhattan Boys. Michael Jordan is a big deal to him. Sure. I think Michael's is Michael Jordan is his favorite player. He was telling me earlier today when I recorded a pregame interview that uh, he still has every Michael Jordan playoff game recorded on VHS. Nice. So, yeah, he likes him. Let's put it that way. Plus, Manhattan wears Jordan. Well, the JV now wears the Jordan uniforms. It used to be the varsity uh, uniforms for Manhattan were Jordan, but now they have new Nikes because they wanted shorter shorts. So the hand-me-downs have went to the JV team that are currently on the floor wearing Jordan uniforms, and they are really cool. The Jumpman uniforms, but it's funny that, you know, all things that are in style come back around at some point. Shorter shorts come to mind. Uh, my top memory has to do more because of the fact that I got the opportunity to meet the victim of this play. Craig Elo. Remember the push when, off? what's that? The push off? The the push off and the bucket that Jordan nailed over Elo to beat the Cavaliers. That one will always stand out, and poor Elo has had to live with that ghost the entirety of his uh, of his post NBA career. He spent time as an assistant at Eastern Washington. Uh, not too very long ago, and so I got the opportunity to chat with him. Good man, great player. He just had a fate that befell a lot of players in the NBA at the time, and that would be one Michael Jordan got the better of him when it mattered in the moment. Well, okay, so you might remember this then. Didn't Michael Jordan play in Bramlage one time? Oh, you know, I would have to dig that up because it would not have been while I was in school. Well, I thought it was around that time. I, I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Maybe like a caller would know. I, I think I, I felt like John Kurtz, he brought it up one time that MJ had some like all-star game or I, 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 I don't know. I, I just I felt like I've heard that one time. I just don't know for certain. That I do not remember. And it, the honest truth is I don't recall an NBA game, a, a preseason game ever being held there. And and I don't think it would have been a preseason game. But that would not have been a site likely for, for Mike because there's no connection to it unless he was playing in something that Mitch Richmond was putting together. But I don't know that Mitch did got was able to get Mike for anything like that. So, I'll have to dig. You you have you have intrigued me. You have given me something to look into. Because it's not coming to mind. I take that back. There was one NBA pregame or preseason game. October 21st, 1988. So right about just before they opened the arena for good. The Mavericks and the Spurs. Rolando Blackman, of course, was still playing for Dallas at the time. Okay. So that would be that. That would be the unofficial opener, if you will, because then 
the building itself officially opened for K-State basketball November 26th that same year. But that is the only one that I can see listed here. By that point, you had no Kansas City Kings by a long shot. So kind of eliminated the the draw for anyone to come in, save for someone like the Mavericks, strictly because of Roe. Well, and but like what about like when he was with North Carolina? Did North Carolina ever come to Manhattan in the eighties or anything? No, and that would have been uh, that would have been at Ahern anyway. Ahern anyway. Um yeah. so no. But it and there too, you know, you really think about it. The 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 cross regional at that point, you did not see many ACC teams making treks into the Midwest. This is something we kind of got into Brandon and I discussing this morning. Even when you look at where the Chiefs are in terms of their history with the Eagles, there was a stretch where twenty years they did not play each other. Back between the seventies and the early nineties, and. Part of that was because in the interest of keeping travel at a relatively low, you didn't see a lot of the intra-region stuff taking place. It was more you kept it within, say, the AFC West, NFC West fighting each other. Scheduling changed when the newest TV deals in the 90s began to take shape and you began to get Fox involved in the NFL contracts, and they saw opportunities to add storylines to what was going on. And so then that turned into the opportunity for things like turning a Sunday late game into Packers-Cowboys, where in the past you probably would not have had it be a regular season game uh, that late on the schedule. It would have been more earlier in the afternoon, if it even happened at all save for, of course, when you got to the playoffs. And it, it, it's really interesting how we have changed our concepts of what schedules should be like. When you look at what the WNBA goes through right now in the fact that they do not charter flights for the most part, they fight through some of the, the scheduling woes that the professional leagues actually had to suffer through before the 90s and the advent of charter flights being so much more utilized than what they were through the 70s and 80s. It's just an it's an interesting difference you don't think about very much until you start to look at what schedules were compared to what they are now. Mitch, I'll tell are you, you what. Can you still have me up? Can you hear me? Yes, I got you. Okay, so uh, shout to KSU underscore fan who sent me the link here uh, as I'm looking through this. But Michael Jordan did, once upon a time, come to Manhattan, Kansas to play basketball. Okay. But I, I'm still reading into it here, I don't, so I don't know all the details. But he did come to a Hearn Fieldhouse. Definitely would not have been Bramlage. Keeping in mind that 84 no. was was when things when he made his move to the NBA. Still amazing. Well, I'm that reading he, a sports. I'm reading a sports extra. I just I'm trying to figure out exactly when it was. Gotcha. 
While we do that, how about I move on to number two song of the day? Yeah, I'll text you the details. Sounds like a winner. Mitch on location. We've got more with him coming up, of course, uh, in the next hour as we get to high school basketball coverage here on News Radio KMAN. Yeah, we dig into the music side of things coming up as it is just about time for that uh, number two song of the day today as we continue on a Friday edition of The Game. be perfectly honest this song may be better remembered for the video more than what the song is remembered itself because of the distinctive look that it offered but Robert Palmer drove simply irresistible to number two on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart in 1988 Are you ready for what held it out from the number one spot, Mitch? I don't think that this one will surprise you. I'm surprised that Robert Palmer had another one that got close to number one. Came right on the heels of uh, didn't mean to turn you on. Yeah. Uh, Number one, the number one that blocked it, Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Two weeks at number two, Robert Palmer was Simply Irresistible. It was the first single off of the album Heavy Nova. The video itself, as we said, really became the most notable thing. We'll get more on that in a moment. Palmer reported uh, performed this on Late Night with Letterman that same year. It was his first release through a new album uh, distributor in EMI. He won the 88 Grammy for Best Rock Vocal for this song. There aren't a lot of tremendous facts to it other than everybody, you know, gets the video aspect of it. It just happened to be a matter where He brought back the same models that he utilized in the Addicted to Love video. Karen Aubrey McElfresh, Kim Jones, Cheryl Day. The video was directed by British fashion photographer Terrence Donovan and shows him surrounded by numerous women, the three specifically, all with the same heavy makeup and swept back hairstyle. For whatever reason, it sticks in people's memory. And it worked for him twice over because it helped push this song then to number two. An attention grabber, no doubt about it. 
That same style then was utilized in a Pepsi commercial the next year as they parried it by just adding in clips of the simply irresistible drink itself. Mainstream rock chart, interestingly enough, this song topped it, even though it got beat out on the Hot 100 by Sweet Child of Mine of Guns N' Roses. Inexplicable, I know, just odd, but it it happened that way. I, I don't understand. I don't know why. <laughs> if, if I understood it, I would maybe be able to explain it, but yeah, that's not very likely. It just, for whatever reason... The oddities of what happens in music and albums and songs and the charts. But Robert Palmer left us way too early, by the way, as he passed away in 2003, only at the age of 54. This style for him carried over really not just on that album but he also utilized the same styling with the effort that he had with Power Station and when it was all said and done he picked up two Grammys for best male rock vocal performance was nominated it for a Brit Award and an MTV Video Music Award. But a heart attack took him away from us at uh, age 54 in 2003. Power Station, by the way. Remember that beast? Where they covered T-Rex's Get It On? Guitarist Andy Taylor, bassist John Taylor, both of Duran Duran. Former Chic drummer Tony Thompson and then Palmer to front it. That actually became the impetus for what would become both Addicted to Love and Simply Irresistible. Number two in 1988. Yes, sir, Mitch. So I heard you say that this won a Grammy for Best Rock Vocal. Yes. And that got me curious because I don't re- really remember that being an award, but it was, but it hasn't been since the early 2000s. But I wanted to look up who he beat out. So Robert Palmer actually won that award two years in a row because of Addicted to Love, but he beat out Eric Clapton, Joe Cocker, Robbie Robertson, and Rod Stewart <laughs> for that award. But So check this out. I'm going back up to the 2000s here because I, I wanted to see who else won the award. Like guys like Eric, uh, Eric Clapton won it a couple of times in uh-huh. the '90s. Beck, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan won in '98 for Cold Irons Bound, and then you get to '99. Lenny Kravitz won the award four years in a row. Oh my! With Fly Away, American Woman, which uh, those two are not the biggest surprise, but and then it, I'm like, what? What do you have after that? Again, and then dig in. I'm like, what? I was like, I, I, but the thing is, like, in 2002 for Lenny Kravitz and Dig In, he beat out Ryan Adams, 
barely remember that guy. Okay. Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, and John Mellencamp in 2002. I think we now know why there is no longer a Grammy for Best Male Rock Performance. Uh, yeah, Best Rock Vocal, and it ended in 2004 with Dave Matthews. It got stale real quick, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> Dave Matthews, best male rock vocal. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that that one's probably a little late in the game right there. Doesn't sound right at all. Michael Jackson also won the award for Beat It in 84. Makes sense. Somewhat. One of the multitude. By the way, you realize Beyonce can become the record holder for most Grammys awarded this weekend? Oh, is the Grammys this weekend? I had no idea. Sunday night. CBS is squeezing it in with no football. I know. Nobody. That would have been a perfect time to go to break. Yeah, I'm right there thinking like, it. Right, right there. Yeah. Right there at the end of the song. It's like, dang, that, I, think, I thought you timed that up perfectly. Coming up for best rock vocal this year on the Grammys, here comes Doja Cat, Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran. You're, you're thinking hard Imagine now. Dragons. Yeah, there you go. And oh, Five boy. Finger Death Punch. One of these things is not like the other. We continue on the game, wrap things up in a moment. Every Sunday morning at 5 a.m. here on KMAM. Closing out this edition of The Game on a Friday evening. Troy Coverdale, Mitch Fortner with you. Mitch will have the call of Manhattan High basketball coming up in just a bit. You said running clock uh, in the boys' JV game. So what are you looking at pregame-wise now? Uh, we'll probably be able to get to pregame. Uh, okay, they're going after last keys. I was wondering if they're going to make a change or something. Uh, hopefully right after CBS uh, at 6.06 we can, we can start our pregame coverage. Well, there we go. So... Little did you know it was going to time out so well. <laughs> well, it's because Manhattan's uh, JV just kicked some butt and won 61-29. Yeah, that'll do it. So, that being said, as we ask anything, what does dinner comprise of tonight on a ball game night for Mitch Fortner? Uh, <laughs> it's the same thing every time I come to Topeka. It is Mexican taco shop. Uh, it's not too far from from where I'm at here on here on Gage Boulevard, uh, and it's it's absolutely my go-to. I love it a lot. Lindsay wants some too, so I'm going to pick some up for her. And same thing in uh, Junction City. They also have a location there, so it's it's good eats afterwards. And they're open 24/7, so there's no issue with trying to beat them closing. You're bold. Tacos. Well, you didn't. You aren't having them before the game, though. No, I usually in, no, I usually get like a chicken burrito. It's very good with like some rice and beans, or I'll get a breakfast burrito. Their their breakfast burritos are the best. I admit to being rather tame with just going ahead and being someone who will do hot dogs. I mean, there's something about a ball game and a hot dog. I don't know what like it is, at, but like I'm good with it. You eat at the game sometimes. 
Depending. You don't want to eat after the game? Well, remember, I'm on that oddball schedule. My meal times are a little different than yours. You, you're a one. You do not break protocol. You. It doesn't matter if K-State is playing against Illinois Chicago or they're playing in a, in a lead eight. You're going to bed at 8.30, and you're going to make sure you have you have a full tummy by six. Or seven, I should say. You definitely by seven, yes. Uh, that being said, no. If it was an Elite Eight, I'd be staying up. But, Did- man, would you be feeling it the next day? Yes, I would be. I have been there plenty of times. <laughs> Good thing naps exist. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because otherwise, it's a long day. All right, Mitch, we'll look forward to uh, catching up with you with high school basketball here in just a few minutes. The latest on the uh, latest on that uh, wonderful spy balloon coming up from CBS here at the top of the hour as we'll turn our attention to Manhattan High basketball coming back after that check of the news headlines. Have a great weekend. Go Cats. We'll look forward to catching you on Monday again here on News Radio KMAN.